0: Exegesis. Hello and welcome to Countdown to Exegesis, the podcast where we pick at the Steely Dan discography like we're two apes and we want to fuck it. <laughs> You'll see me in Exegetes for this week, as always. I'm myself, Oliver Piper. I am a Dan lover, Dan fan. Dan is my man, and I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Balthazar Souter. How are you doing, Andrew? <laughs> I'm fine. Why are you calling me Balthazar? I just think it just suits. You if I I I honestly don't know <laughs> your middle name, but it feels like you should have a uh, a sort of oh, Okay. Fruity middle name. Oh, I see. Well, Balthazar was one of the Magi. Yes. So is was, it is that where I've got it from? I think so, yeah. So is it It, but, it wasn't a deliberate sort of Catholic reference mm. like any kind of ex-Catholic will know. You, they just kind of lapse into your lexicon so mm-hmm. to speak, so. Yeah, yeah. Um well I think you probably
1: subconsciously think of me as Balthazar because of the gifts that I bring to you
0: and to the which podcast. Which gift did he bring? The smelly one or the uh <laughs> or the heavy one or the, or the showy one. Yeah, I which... <laughs> uh, I've I've no idea.
1: I don't even know no. what the other two major are called. Um fris-
0: Friston and <laughs> Delboy. Delboy. Um we uh, What we do on this podcast, just for any newcomers, um, we look at Steely Dan on a song-by-song basis. We're working very cripplingly slowly through the uh, Steely Dan discography, song-by-song. Um, I love Steely Dan. Andrew, I think, I think despite the kind of perceived tra- trajectory that I had for this series, Andrew hates him a little bit more with every week. No, and... no, that's not,
1: that's not fair. That's not fair. I really like Razor ha- Boy.
0: No, you said Razor Boy was a soft slam.
1: Did I? Yeah. Well, that's crazy, because last night I was having a bath, and
0: uh, I was singing along like it was my favourite song in the world. Yeah, I know, and also like text messaging me at the same time. <laughs> so what a like horrendous vision that is of you with like a teetering radio <laughs> <laughs> balancing on your soapy toe with... <laughs> <laughs> with a phone in one hand while washing your body. I don't understand, I don't understand how it...
1: <laughs> well, look, basically, whatever I'm doing, if Dan comes to mind, I think of you. You know, like, if I was making love to a woman and she
0: said something like, you know, fuck me, Razor Boy, I would probably text you there and then... If If you told me that story, I'd be like, can I join in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Sorry, I was trying to... You know when you
1: you're like who is this white witch of 70s soft rock? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's called um, Consuela. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a babe. Babe babe. Anyway, the point is, I should I summarize for the for the newcomers what my trajectory has been? Yeah, go on, that'll be yeah, interesting. Yeah. Basically, I came into this podcast thinking Steely Dan were horrible. Not having really listened to them in any detail, I just thought it, it was kind of like dentist waiting room music for middle-aged depressives. Listened through track by track to Can't Buy a Thrill, and uh, I think it's got some really top tunes on it, but they all seem like, sort of like happy accidents, but you know what I mean, it's <laughs> like you can you can be shit and shit out gold once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I'm saying. Is that how? It, that's kind of how it feels for me with Steely Dan so far. This album, uh, I think Razor Boy is is great. So I'm sort of, you know, I'm I'm still agnostic basically. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're just scarred by the experience of episode one, where I was in a really filthy mood, and was uh, just being horrible about the whole project,
0: <laughs> uh, as well you, yeah. as that that particular song. And then you were like. Yeah, you were ragging on me, the project, (laughs) your general kind of being, and then you turned around and were like, you know, Bodhisattva's a banger. Love it. (laughs) What? That episode?
1: Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. I think this is, I'm not sure, in a way, I'm the perfect co-host for this podcast because I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to go through this process with you. But in another way, I'm so flighty, like, opinion-wise. I'm just all over the place. You are. Um, but and so yeah, so I thought I thought I
0: I remember saying Razor Boy was an absolute slam, but apparently I called it a soft slam. Well, yeah, no, you, you're you um, I I think you're just I think you're just obsessed with kind of blindsiding me now. Mm. So so you keep yeah, giving yeah. opinions that aren't your true like
1: no no I'm heartfelt always,
0: opinion. I'm always t- I'm always telling the truth in the moment. Okay,
1: uh, but well. But oh, yeah. there goes my printer. Um, well, let me steer Let me steer this uh, fragile bark um, around the conversational corner. <laughs> do you think I'm going to like... What do you think my opinion of the Boston Rag
0: is going to be? Which is the song we're looking at today, everyone. Um, I have no idea okay. because I think in certain ways this song is similar to certain things that you've expressed a like for before. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's like, I know it's got some things in it which just will make a suitor limp. <laughs> yeah. Can you point to one of them? Well, I mean, if it's if we're not getting ahead of ourselves... I'm going to stay poker-faced. I'm not going to reveal okay. my, my uh, opinion, but I'm just I, curious I about your think, prediction. I don't think that you're happy with the existence of the extended oompa section with guitar <laughs> solo. <laughs>
1: okay. You All said right. you're going
0: to stay poker-faced, that is... Yeah, you are could, shit at poker. No, but I, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I, could, poker.
1: I could be laughing because you're so wrong. Yeah,
0: no, true. True. Um, <clears throat> well, before we start casting exegesises around the place willy-nilly, mm-hmm. shall I t- tell you about the song in our section that is dedicated to doing that? Are you talking to me or the folks at home? Uh, both. I'm all for it. Get go. Song facts. Okay. Song Song oh, facts. Yes. Alright, so, <clears throat> what I've tried to do with Song Facts, just to just to get us on the same page, everyone, everyone, just come into a little rugby slash football circle for a second, and we're going to have a chat, because what, a, I, a what, scrum. I, what I think of this segment as being, right, is, you know, I'm giving some much-needed context to the listener, so it might be kind of release dates, um, whether it was a single, you know, that sort of thing. Andrew seems to think of this segment as me, like, trying to impress him with facts, which is never what I intended it to be. So I think we just need to kind of, like, level out what this should be. Because, okay. yeah, uh, alright, you, your your point is being kind of like, anyone could look on Wikipedia and find that. Yes, but, mm. you know, this is meant to be like a, a rose petal strewn bath of Dan for the listener. Yeah. You, don't, you don't tell them to go off and fetch me a Wikipedia article, no. You say, sit back, listen, have a nice chilled Doom Bar, mm-hmm. and sink into the bath of Dan. So you've you've got me back on board with your bath metaphors because I do love a bath. You're yeah, as I think I think you've put baths in my head. Yeah. Um, thanks to your far too graphic <laughs> bath anecdote. Um, so, but, no, but what I didn't do because I was like, "Andrew gets angry when I'm boring <laughs> with song facts, so yeah i've I've kept it to uh quite what I consider quite interesting song facts, maybe you can score me or something, maybe that will be maybe that'll make it more engaging for you, okay can, okay. I, re- can so, I
1: can I say whether your song facts are royal scams or royal slams,
0: yeah, if you like, okay, cool, all right, so the first one, okay, a little window into a recording process, this is from uh Becker and Fagan's liner notes to the reissued Countdown to Ecstasy. Um do you, do you know what? I'm I'm not going to read this out verbatim. But basically, Denny Diaz, remember him? Is he still in the band? He's still in there's still it's this is still the same band as album one. Just no Sons, palms. Palms. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they kept trying to record the guitar intro melody for this, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't record whatever they did, right? So they eventually did some editing magic to get it to work, but they just for a lark they sent the tape, which was presumably defective, back to the manufacturer. And then I'll 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 pick up with Becker and Fagans voice here. Months later, they sent us their report. The piece of tape had a tiny blister where the oxide had bubbled up from the backing. Inside this blister was a drop of mustard. Some clot up in Minnesota had taken his sandwich into the room in the plant where the huge sheets of mylar were coated with oxide, taken a bite and squirted a tiny drop of mustard onto the mylar on the exact spot where we were going to put Denny's guitar part. In effect, our efforts had been sabotaged in advance by a careless worker. This was to haunt us over and over in the years to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's witty. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but a, a little... A little um, Call ahead there to uh, I'm sure there's many stories that they have of, of as they see it careless workers mm. r- read famous guitarists um, <laughs> yeah Jeff messing up their, <laughs> yeah, messing up their takes yeah. uh, but um, famously uh, the, the deleted song from gaucho the second arrangement um, was uh, their mix was deleted by a engineering assistant or something. Is that what all those
1: memes about the second
0: arrangement are about? Yeah, because everyone's trying to reconstruct it. and like, right. you know, It's a great Lost Dan track. I see, I see. I understand now. Um, yeah. It should, give, it should throw you these crumbs of the future so you're not completely lost since you are <laughs> handling <the> social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so that was, a, that was a, slam of, a slam of a fact anyway, is that what you're saying? It was good. It, it made me think of Homer Simpson almost immediately, like him coming in with a big mustard sandwich. Mm, or sandwich featuring mustard. Him working at the pressing plant, yeah, or the, the the record plant. Next fact: It was sampled in WYW by Hit Boy featuring John Legend. <laughs> Can you guess what part they sampled? Dum 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 dum. Wrong. To be fair, you would think it was the dong dong yeah. dong. Dun. Dun, dun, dun. That, that seems right dun. for sampling. Yeah. It would you you can see cont- I've got a
1: hip-hop sampler's ear. You know, I'm constantly on the lookout mm. for, for hooks and um,
0: samples. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't struck me before, to be honest. No. But if you say so. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, No, it's the intro. Like, literally the first, first kind of phrase. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Weird. Um, there is isn't there is another sample, but we don't have to listen to that. But for the purpose of completion, um, writer's block by no more, no less. In two thousand and four, can't remember what bit of the song that sample. Not sure I even listened to it, but I'm sure it's great. I'll link it in the uh, in the show notes. Okay. So yeah, I mean, how how would it, how, just just to kind of you know um, stroke my very fragile sense of worth. <laughs> Um, how? What did you think of those facts? Did I did I hit a good balance? Ollie, you're doing a great job.
1: Thank you. Okay, son, son, <laughs> you're doing a great, great job. You're doing you're doing the best you can with a really misguided project. Did I tell you the uh, did I tell you the conversation I had with my
0: dad about the podcast? Did it uh, did it have a slight tone of kind of um I'm worried about you son? <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad is of a certain age,
1: generation, and class where you don't say I'm worried about you son. You just mm-hmm. leave you just leave pauses. So what happened <laughs> was um <laughs> I said uh, he he was sort of saying so any any other news and I said oh well one thing actually it's a bit 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 uh, strange, but I'm actually doing a, a podcast with my friend Ollie. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing this podcast about Steely Dan. And then there was just this like long, sort of glacial pause, and my dad said, well, I don't really have anything else to report. <laughs> 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 like, there wasn't even, he didn't even say, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, you know, he just. I, I, I mean don't. I too. don't think. I don't think he knows who Steely Dan are, and I don't think he knows what a podcast is. Well, and, and yeah, I, that's and what I, I was going I, don't, I it... don't think he understands we'll care anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was great. It was like the encapsulation of a of a. Repressed I, if, if that is boomer. the case,
0: and I love that your dad deals with like not understanding at least kind of 60% of what you've just said by, by ignoring it and moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I would love it to be, like, I would love to have a
1: blazing row with him about it. You know, just going, you don't uh. understand.
0: <laughs> Dad, you just don't get it. This is what you've got to do now, Dad. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be, like, if you want to be considered, like, a like a content creator, like, you've got to have a podcast. Times
1: have changed. It's, it's the gig economy
0: what is a vibe (laughs) what's your vibe andrew okay so my
1: vibe isn't very descriptive uh or or useful there's a line in uh, the boston rag where he says lonnie was the kingpin Mm -hmm. and every time i've heard that line i've thought of the Joni mitchell song edith and the kingpin Mm. and so what i've done is i've i've taken some lyrics from edith and the kingpin and i've just replaced a single word okay go for it okay Donald and the Kingpin, each with charm to sway, are staring eye to eye. They dare not look away. You know they dare not look away. Now, when we get to the lyric segment, you will understand
0: why Why I did that. I'll take your word for it.
1: Yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's uh, my vibe. I think that was entirely unexpected. I don't know what to say. I don't have a vibe. I have prepared very little for this episode, apart from lots of research mm-hmm. into the uh, the possible themes and subjects of this song. But I don't have a vibe, and I can't come up with one on, on, the, on the trot. So what I'll do instead, as is a theme for well, this be- series... Before, before you uh, move
1: on, can I just uh, provide a song fact of my own? Oh, well, you should have said that a minute ago, what's the what's the song fact? Well, the song fact is, is not about the Boston Rag. It's about oh. a, a far, far superior song by Joni Mitchell. Uh, uh-huh. Have you heard what's in, it called? in France They Kiss On Main Street? Yes, I have. Right, so who do you think provides the lovely guitar fills on that track? Jeff Skunk Baxter. Jeff Skunk Baxter. Whoa! woo There you go. And isn't it nice to have a song fact about a song that's actually
0: really good? Shut up. So, as I was saying, Becker and Fagan have provided vibes for every song on this album on the uh, on the back of the vinyl. Mm-hmm. So, uh, compare and contrast your vibe with Becker and Fagan's, see if it elucidates anything. Okay. They say, quote, Enervated after an attack of unrelieved nostalgia, Jeff Skunk Baxter <laughs> sheds his outer skin and stands revealed as a wild boy.
1: Okay. Okay, well that is interesting because one of the things I've been thinking about this album so far is that it seems less reliant on solos to provide the the juice. So they're drawing attention to mm. Jeff's sort of foundling solo. Yeah, yeah, because it's like because now now that we've now that we've seen the back of can't buy a thrill in my head, it's it's now like like a negative reading of the album, which I don't entirely. Believe, but a negative reading of Can't Buy a Thrill would be it's all it's kind of workmanlike. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're writing Mm -hmm. these songs in different styles, and it's kind of like uh, solo goes here exactly. And then they and then they get a a killer solo to like lift it. Whereas it Mm -hmm. feels like on Mm -hmm. this album, they're more confident and playful. You know, so it's almost so. So it's like all the
0: songs we've had so far have very bespoke arrangements. It's almost. I mean, this is this is this is crossing over the Venn diagram into the music discussion, but it's almost like they go to pains to not make the solo do its usual job here. Like, instead of going like, we're going to rush into a solo in a way that's going to lift the song, like you say, it's like, let's see what we do if we completely pair the song back and then have the solo. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost kind of like, let's, let's experiment with different ways of using solos. But... It is a wild solo. It is, Jeff. It is. He he is a wild boy. And spoiler alert, I love that solo, <sighs> Jeff. Your relationship with with the skunk is so interesting. This is that's the most interesting thing about this podcast. It's like when someone you know. It's like when someone makes a documentary about some grand quest they have, but they end up being more interesting than you know the the quest itself. Hmm. Mm. It's like the most interesting thing about this podcast is not two people from the, Mid- the English Midlands mm. talking about Steely Dan, but just how like impactful Jeff Skunkback's been <laughs> on your life and how conflicted you are. Yeah, yeah. About Jeff Skunkback, so it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, while he was doing that solo, I kind of for those twenty seconds, however long that solo is, I forgot that he's like an embodiment of the banality of evil
0: so moving on we have san francisco show and tell this is the new segment new to this series where on alternate weeks me and or andrew um just take something just show each other something which is relevant to the song Hmm. and this week it's my turn so the Boston Rag. This is going to take a bit of explaining, and mm-hmm. it's probably not going to land anyway, right? But <laughs> you and I are from Birmingham, or we both reside in Birmingham. Oh, I know UK. where this, I know where this is going.
1: <laughs> I know where I know exactly where this
0: is going. <laughs> okay. And there's a there's a word from you know Birmingham West Midlands, the West Midlands conurbation, more more kind of Black Country, which is the surrounding area, but the word is Boston, mm. mm-hmm. so Boston means great smashing. It actually comes from the word. It, it, it's a it's a brummie pronunciation of bursting. Oh, really? Yeah, to, which ah. is which has the same connotation, saying smashing. You know, smashing, bursting, Boston. Right. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, "Hey, that's, that's a Boston, that's a Boston plate of orange chips you've got there, bab." You know? Yeah, yeah. Just to put it in context. So what I thought, okay. This is an excuse to get in a bit of local Mm flavour. So I thought, Boston Rag. Mm. Who could possibly do a reading of this in a really sort of down-to-earth, brummy way? Then I thought, well, there's Ted Chippington. Ted Chippington being... you got Ted Chippington. Ted Chippington being the... What? uh, Premier comedian, multifaceted entertainer of of Birmingham, and then my friend requested him a chickened out. <laughs> right, what I so I did the next best thing, which you know is is a few next best things down. But I did my best Ted Chippington impression, oh, no. and <laughs> oh, no. did my version of the Boston Rag, the Boston Rag, oh. in the style of Ted Chippington's wonderful recordings from the 1980s. Do I have to listen to this? L- look, I know it's... <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time. I know okay. it's a stretch, but just have a listen. I'm so scared. Just have a listen. Okay, here we go. So this is
1: The Boston Rag as delivered by... The Boston a, Rag. The, the Bos- no, but it's The Boston Rag by Steely Dan as delivered by Oliver Piper doing an impression of Ted Chippington. Who no one's heard of, but he's very good. Okay, here we go.
0: Any news was good news, and the feeling was bad at home. I was out of my mind. I never knew her on the telephone Lonnie was the kingpin back in 1965 I was singing this song when Lonnie came alive The Boston rag. Tell all your buddies that it ain't no drag. Bring back the Boston rag.
1: <laughs> well, what I will say for people who haven't heard Ted Chippington, that was a good impression. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that was that was good. Uh, and uh, and does it need to be anything more? Well, I think I, I I already dug so far down into obscurity to find something to sh- to to do and show you. Mm. That you know, if we got Ted Chippington, I would have been delighted if we got Ted Chippington, but yeah. few people would have known who he was anyway. Yeah. So, me doing a passable impression of Ted Chippington is as good as the idea which you, you know, poetry work from... Um, you've got Ted Chippington. No. No, I don't have Ted mm. Chippington, but I've got me doing a good impression of Ted Chippington. So... And no one can take that away from you. <laughs> <laughs> the music! Okay, the music. Going back, do you remember the final episode of season one? hmm For Turn That Heartbeat Over Again? Yeah. And Denny Diaz, God bless him, was saying he was, they had an interview with him shortly after Can't Buy a Thrill and he was saying actually Can't Buy a Thrill is the, we- the worst album we'll ever make because the next album, which came to be Countdown mm. to Ecstasy, is going to be uh, much more like the kind of slightly weirder songs from Can't Buy a Thrill and he mentioned Fire in the Hole from Can't mm-hmm. Buy a Thrill and he mentioned Turn That Heartbeat Over again, the final track. Mm. And he also used and- the, the phrase the bone of tone. The bone of tone of the next album, mm. which I just think is, yeah, uh, uh, that, that's one of my favourite off-the-cuff anythings anyone's ever said. Yeah, hats um, off, Denny. Beautifully poetic. Hey, do you know that? So, so I think I might have been operating on, well, I think I might have just basically forgotten this or didn't know it, but Steely Dan was Denny Diaz's band what? to start off with. So Donald and Walter answered an ad in, I think, The Village Voice. Mm-hmm. to um to form a band and the, the ad said must have jazz chops looking for sing for looking for keyboardist and bass player oh, and right. they joined and they joined Denny Diaz's band so it was denny who put the ad out um, oh, right. and then obviously they joined and they had all these songs and they just went with Donald and Walter's songs but yeah isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So, Do you think Diaz so Den- is uh, is pissed as the Americans say I'm sure that. he would be after after they kicked him out of his own band. Yeah. Did they? When but did,
1: when did it, they kick out Diaz?
0: Well, we're talking kind of album, I think album three, they're still technically a group. Mm. So Pretzel Logic was still technically a group, but there's suspiciously more um, session players coming in, mm. like with every session. And then by the time of album four, Katie Lied, everyone's gone. And they're just like, no, let's not pretend anymore. It's just it's just us two, the songwriting duo and, and whoever we want to play. Yeah, yeah. So
1: Well I think uh, it's a... been
0: hurt because you got the impression that Denny from interviews like that where he's being like where he's he's really, really complimentary of um of Beckham Fagan's talents and he's almost kind of in awe of them. Yeah. And and so obviously proud that he's got this great sort of songwriting talent in his band. Mm. And then to Yeah. So it what just, it seems a shame.
1: So what should happen as a like beautiful but hurtful meta joke is when we get to season three, you should kick me off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or
0: just, yeah, just start bringing in like professional podcasters and yeah, well, you're, gonna... you're, you're on the fewer and fewer episodes. Yeah. <laughs> By that
1: point, obviously we've got through and Scroobius Pip on our speed dials. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you just, you just, um, you just sort of, um, you, you neg me. So you make me do links like over and over again. Until I'm just like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm going to do my random human <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> so, so what I was going to say, I have to actually try and remember what I was going to say. Okay, yeah. So, so Denny, lovely Denny, said that the songs on the next album are going to be a little bit more like Turnout Heartbeat Over Again, which is a very kind of twisty, convoluty. Yeah. Um, You know, almost like, as I said at the time, like Steely Dan does a musical number. Like, yeah. All these changes in tone and changes in voice, and you know, sometimes it sounds like you've got a chorus line piping up. I think the Boston Rag is most like that mm. sort of song. So, when he was talking about what's, what the songs and next album are going to be like, the Boston Rag is like a turn that heartbeat over again, mm. but a little less kind of ostentatious in its delivery of that. It's a little, it's, it's, much, well, it's much less kind of like, look, I'm going to be a weird song. Mm. Whereas Turn That Heartbeat over again was almost kind of look at how we can create this kind of multifaceted guys and dolls number. You say the that. Boston the Boston Rag is the, much the, the... more understated in its in its delivery of that, but it still has a kind of disjointed musical structure. Yeah. Um, but also the the opening of the song, I would say is ostentatiously
1: weird. Like it sounds like it sounds like what I imagine Frank Zappa sounds like.
0: Well, the, well, yeah, okay. So bringing on to the opening, that is about as jazz as they've got so far. Mm. And yeah, Zappa's a good reference point. Mm. It is. It is like a. It is like that, that sort of thing where Zappa does, and I'm not a Zappa expert, but like he he will. You're not like, a, a, a Zapparatic. Mm, he. Uh, <laughs> what did you even say? Sorry. <laughs> is that- I scoffed, but I read, then I realised I didn't even know what the fuck you were saying. As
1: an apparatchik,
0: it came to me. It came to me
1: during my working day that uh, an, an apparatchik was some sort of uh, some sort of job role in the Soviet Union. Okay, <laughs> like a member of the apparat. A, a, a okay. parachic, and then I thought a zapper fan, a zapper head, could be a zapper,
0: zap, <laughs> zapperachic. It did need. It's very impressive. Thanks. As a as a pun, it did need explaining. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It does. It does sound. It's like a. It's like. It's like. Oh, let's just have a showy. Like. <laughs> Sorry. Lots of. We could do lots of chords and be zappery yeah. And then. And then, then completely change tone and do something else. And yeah, start singing about Doo-dee-doo. Catholic girls or something.
1: Doo-dee-doo.
0: Get yeah. into the the soft rock um, riffage. Yeah, so you've got a, you've got unconnected intro where it's just jazz chops and Denny soloing, and then um, you've kind of got a somewhat disconnected chorus, more lyrically than musically to the rest of the song. But but it is still dis- it's still it does still feel like a musical disconnect between chorus and. Verse, and then obviously, you've got the big umpa section in the middle, yeah, which we touched on, where you have the skunk solo, yeah, um, which is uh, which is a really odd choice, structurally speaking. Mm. Uh, I sort of love it, and I always have sort of loved it, but it's almost kind of like my question is kind of like, well, what are you actually going for with that? With the umpa, it's a, it's a, I would say, it's a showy change of gear.
1: So, but like it's, it's basically. I was thinking. So the, the 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 things that I like about this song, I like because they tap into some of my obsessions. So like the chorus sounds like CSNY to me. It sounds like Ohio. Also, the guitar solo is rocky, but it really reminds me of two things. It reminds me of Neil Young. It reminds mm. me of like Revolution Blues. And it reminds me oh, We should me reiterate: it's 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 your friend of mine,
0: Skunk Baxter. On yeah,
1: the, yeah. So it's on Skunk on this, right. he reminds me of Neil, and he also reminds me of the solo on King Harvest by the band. Just that I would mm. encourage people to listen to it because it's the way that like it's a long solo, but it sort of manages to keep up momentum and like build in a way that I find similar to Robbie Robertson's playing on King Harvest. But anyway, well, this is, what I'm getting this is, to, what I'm getting to is sorry, so those things immediately give me a big stiffy because it's like it sounds like these sort of country-tinged rock artists that I really like but the band that this most reminds me of is your friend and mine queen it really really reminds me of queen just in the <laughs> sort of like in in the, in the feeling of like a sort of progish sweet with, no, all, with all you these know what? weird yeah, with all these weird I turns. would never
0: ever ever have thought of that but yeah like Queen sort of night at the opera yeah. era. Yeah, yeah. Queen. Like with some big kind of like we're making a big operatic statement here. Yeah. Um and now it's yeah, time and, for some umpire
1: um, dum, 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 dum.
0: Brian's getting ready.
1: I was uh, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm gonna break into like a like an ad hoc Freddie Mercury impression there, but I'm not gonna try. Go on. Um I don't I, I don't have the <laughs> choice for on, it. But, come on. <laughs> 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 but yeah so so the closest thing to what they're doing with that is like they're doing like a breakdown, like you know, yeah, but it's it's not it doesn't function like a normal breakdown would for one thing, it's far too long, yeah, like it's probably about at least probably like a third of the playing time, or at least it feels like that mm. of the entire song. um you know, a breakdown is kind of a breakdown is a momentary kind of like pause in energy. So that when they bring the energy back, even stronger, it feels yeah. more amazing. This is like they're sort of going, "Okay, hey, we're we're going to do a breakdown," but then we're not going to do a breakdown. Yeah, and instead, what they do is like is they have Skunk coming in, very very kind of like tentatively at first, and 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 ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And to be honest, I can't even remember how it goes back in to like the song just the, proper co- the chorus it starts that. again. Just just hit comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, so it's really odd. It's it's really odd. I, I, I've always loved it. I've always thought. I've always thought. And you know, this is the kind of the, when I was talking about the risk taking on Countdown to Ecstasy. Mm. Okay, uh, I've, look, got, I've okay. got I've got two
1: small things to say about the music before we move on. Oh yeah, go on. Go okay, on. one is I love 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 the uh, the tone of Skunk's guitar on the solo. I just think it's like the perfect, it's the perfect
0: fuzz. Mm. It just sounds great. And the second thing that's I have what to say. That's what he used to say about his, that's what he used to say about his moustache. <laughs> it's just the perfect Sorry. fuzz.
1: <laughs> and the other thing I have to say is that the acoustic guitar on the verses is delicious. Oh, you've listened very carefully because I didn't even, I've never heard oh, that. <laughs> It's so, not honestly, put, put it on headphones. The acoustic guitar is lovely. Mm. Oh, out. and the drums sound great. Uh,
0: it's just really, it's really good. The whole thing is really, really the ba- good. The bass, the bass line is kind of like funky and like, but understated. Mm. I, I think, like, it, it, it's. Uh, I th- I'm guessing it's Becker on this one, but he's 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 really kind of going the extra level compared to his fairly r- rote bass playing on mm. "Can't Buy a Thrill."
1: It seems it just sounds to me like they're having fun. And that pleases me a great deal because one of my big preconceptions about Steely Dan is that they are no fun. You know? Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I came to this podcast believing is that these guys are just sort of earnest and clinical. Whereas, Ollie this is playtime. Earnest? You thought Steely Dan were earnest? Musically earnest. Like, they can't oh. let anything slip. They can't, you know, if there's like a out-of-place Tom hit,
0: you know, they have to fucking re-record it. You know what I mean? There's no room for like... Maybe that's why they, in their ex, in their vibe of the song, mm. maybe that's why they referred to Skunk Baxter as a wild boy. Yeah. Maybe that was their way of expressing frustration with Skunk getting a little too wild.
1: Yeah, or maybe just on the day he did the solo he just took a load of coke and smashed the control room
0: <laughs> window. <laughs> Oh, just stripped, just took down his trousers and yeah, underwear Yeah, yeah pushed yeah. his manhood against the glass and said, <laughs> yeah. look at it, Walter! <laughs> yeah. Look at it! Look at it! Yeah. I would be surprised if that never happened. The lyrics! Andrew, mm. I want you to tell me what you think of these lyrics before I... I've done a fair bit of research Mm -hmm. on the context of this song. Okay. Well, no, in fact, let me introduce this, right, with uh, a quote which I found on Genius, the lyric fucking annotation website, but it's a quote from uh, Stylus magazine. So what they say is, what's fascinating about this song is how absolutely specific the lyrics are, but how absolutely obtuse they remain. Mm-hmm. And they also say one of the most opaque songs Becker and Fagan ever wrote. Yeah. The Boston Rag refers not to a song or newspaper, but to the old days. So that's all, that's all the kind of like preamble I'll give. What did this strike you as? Can Tell I get, uh, well, can I get, so I'm going to approach this in a slightly
1: oblique way. Yeah. So I'm going to get a little bit uh, psychoanalytical. Okay. Do you know the Austrian writer Peter Stamm? No, of course. So, that, so there's, <laughs> so there's a really good Austrian writer called Peter Stamm, mm-hmm. right? And whenever you see him interviewed, or even when you see his photo, he exudes sort of clean-shaven, jacketed bourgeois professionalism. Okay, you know what I mean. He looks, he looks very respectable. And kind of bland. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you look up his biography on Wikipedia, he's led a pretty, an uh, eventful life. He studied mm-hmm. to be an accountant. He then did business studies or something, and then basically spent his whole life writing. So there's okay. no there's no like obvious drama going on in his life, mm-hmm. and loads of his books and short stories are about bland jacketed bourgeois professionals going off the rails yeah so like one of his best books is called to the back of beyond it's about a peter stamm like man walking out on his wife and kids and he just keeps walking uh it's basically about people who appear unremarkable who then their lives go off the rails and and their lives spiral and so you think Mm. okay so what is it why is peter stamm so obsessed with people who resemble him losing everything and you Mm. think well it's probably because at some level he's like rehearsing his fears or he's like exploring his fears, you know? Yeah, yeah. So my, I don't know literally what this song is about because it's very opaque. But the first thing that struck me was that Lonnie rhymes with Donnie. Okay. And that Lonnie, the kingpin in this song, seems to have had some kind of decline. So he was the kingpin back in 1965. Then we have a chorus which seems to be harking back to some lost thing. Like something has been lost or misplaced. Then in the next verse... Lonnie swept the playroom and he swallowed up all he found. It was 48 hours till Lonnie came around. I don't know literally what that means, but it suggests that like he was this sort of pimp character or criminal kingpin guy. And now he's sweeping the playroom. He's had a kid. He's been chained down by domesticity. And he has an overdose, potentially, but there's some fall from grace. Mm-hmm. And so my, you know, I wouldn't call it a theory, but my hunch is that, because also, you've, meant, you've dropped hints several times that Steely Down are obsessed with losers, like glamorous losers. So people who mm-hmm. appear to be interesting, but they're actually phony
0: and falling apart. Well, or or they're they're interesting and phony and falling apart.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: But what I mean is, could it be that Fagin
1: is like in the same way that Peter Stamm is writing characters who resemble him, whose lives are going off the rails? Uh, Donald Fagin is writing. He's sort of like, as a young man, he's thinking, what scares me most is like a decline in my spirit, or like mm-hmm. a sour a souring of of the spirit, and like fall from grace and this song is like him sort of uh, creating this character who is basically him in his worst nightmare
0: Okay, so before I reveal my research <laughs> I I want to ask you a couple of questions about about your reading, so who okay. in this reading is Lady Bayside? No idea Okay. So, so question two, what is the Boston rag? <laughs> I don't know I don't know but it could be a newspaper. It could be a piece of ragtime music. Mm-hmm. Or Although I did one... look, I did look for both of those things, and well, the... Boston a newspaper. You, it could be any Boston newspaper. But I did look for a piece of music. Couldn't find anything.
1: Mm. Well, my third thought was, I can think of a couple of examples of songwriters describing flags as rags. So there's a, there's a Tom Waits song called Hoist That Rag. Uh, and there's an Elvis Costello song where the line is something like, it's such a drag saluting that starry rag. Mm-hmm. Presumably meaning mm-hmm. the stars and stripes. So I wonder whether the Boston rag is like a crest or a f- flag or, or some symbol of Boston. So mm-hmm. it's like, bring back the Boston rag. It's like, let's get back to the old days um when lonnie was was this uh, sexy exciting kingpin character but i okay. i don't i don't know i don't know
0: so i'm going to take a slightly different role this time which is instead of like ineptly arguing against your points i'm going to now present you with some facts or semi-facts about this song okay um <clears throat> Which is, effectively... it, is it is it because
1: is it because you can't be bothered to talk in circles with me about my inept, well no uh... I just
0: I just because this song is like I, I you know I, for all of can't buy a thrill I was going oh yeah okay these like can't buy a thrill's lyrics are weirdly like um transparent and they're not really reflective of of Dan lyrics future they get really like big on invented characters and snippets from their own lives and things like that yeah. That kind of Dan reaches full fruition on this song. So we're on like mm-hmm. song three of album two, and this is the most kind of like we're just gonna talk about people from our past and random shit that no one's heard of and no one could could hope to have heard of. Okay. Um so I just I just me knowing this and knowing that this is likely referential to certain things, I'm just interested to see how you came to it. Having not done the research, and then how will you respond to, the re- to it after hearing my research? Okay, before you share the spoils of your
1: research, mm-hmm. can you answer me this question? Mm-hmm. The fact maybe <laughs> the, the, the facts and the little nuggets of information that you're about to share were they known when the album was released? Probably not. Okay, in that case, I don't care. Because that's a, that's just that's just really annoying, because it's like they've written a they've written a, a cryptic lyric that that's doesn't communicate much.
0: Well, no, because other because, than a slightly sarky no.
1: nostalgia, and now you're like, yeah, yeah, but once you know that Lady Bayside was Jemima Puddle Thighs from nineteen
0: fifties Boston or whatever, I'm like, well, I, th- that's not. Well, no, because that's in, that says that like, the only. The only way to read a lyric is in the context in which that lyric was originally released, which is not which is not true. No, what I'm saying is that if a if
1: a lyric doesn't communicate on first listen without extraneous information, without an
0: extraneous gloss, then it has failed as a lyric. Well, you're gonna love Steely Dan in general, <laughs> but um, okay. So just let me just hear me out. Okay. okay. Go, go. So so the first point to make is that S. Victor Aaron of something <laughs> Oh, I've missed him. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. What's he been up to? He's—he's. Um, uh, he's, I think he's finished his reviews of Steely Dan. I don't check in on what he's doing now mm. because I only reference his reviews of Steely Dan. But he thinks he says that he thinks. I think he heard this somewhere that Becker <laughs> wrote the verses. Sounds convincing. As in the the verse lyric and Fagin wrote the chorus. Okay. So you have effectively two disconnected lyrics together. Mm. I guess they both had lyrics and Fagan was like, Well, you've got these verse lyrics, how about I throw this little idea on top of it? So just keep that in mind. Okay. There's a kind of there's a kind of disconnect. Okay, so next up, Lonnie is most likely a real person. Okay. So I was hipped to this when I was flicking through Donald Fagan's paperback um Eminent Hipsters. The other night he's written a book, and yeah, and I uh I noticed that he, in one of the essays, it's a collection of essays and thoughts and things, and interviews and things. Um, there's an amazing interview in it with uh with Ennio Morricone, and like props to Donald Fagan for putting this in because he obviously sees the comedy yeah. in it. But I like, saw, it's have it, it, you seen it before?
1: I, I saw somebody posted a bit of it on um Twitter where it's like. Fagan's question is basically an essay that he's clearly pre-planned, and I Morricone's response—I can't remember what Morricone's response is—but it's basically it was it was shrugs. it's like monosyllabic. Oh, was it, <laughs> it was it was it was like action. Yeah, yeah.
0: Shrugs. Yeah. No, it's it's brilliant. But anyway, like he might mentioned, his um, roommate at university mm-hmm. was a guy called Lonnie. So I did a bit more research into this. So Lonnie is effectively like Beck, like Fagin's roommate at Bard. Okay. Um so I'm gonna read you a few quotes about Lonnie Young, Y O N G U E, which is who he is. So mm. so from a two thousand and six entertainment weekly feature, we have um just summarised like Fagin is wandering around, they've taken him back to Bard, you know. Mm. Um in in my old school, he famously says he will never go back to Bard if uh, only if California falls into the sea. Sorry for the spoiler. But you know, he will never go back to his old school. Mm-hmm. So, but they've taken him back to well, his old school for the sake of a headline. Um, so he's saying he lived next, he's standing in front of his dorm, looking up, reminiscing, and this is where he lived next to Lonnie Young, the leader of that boho bard scene. Young would later show up in the 1973 Steely tune the Boston Rag, as a kingpin who goes on a two-day drug bender. And then Fagin says Lonnie was king of Potter, that's for sure. Says Fagan, gazing up at the imposing stone structure. So he has a history with Lonnie, okay? Um sorry, what he was the king of Potter. He was the king of Potter, which is the dorm. Sorry, that was the freshman oh, right, dorm. Okay, okay. It was called Potter, right? So 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 Donny's so Donnie is kind of like implicitly implying that this is the Lonnie in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, another interview with Becker from nineteen eighty nine. I always think the nice thing about the Boston rag was that it took place in New York. So the Boston okay. rag sorry. So the Boston Rock was part of a state of mind. I haven't seen Lonnie in a long time. I wonder how he is. Hi, Lonnie. So, again, heavily implying we're talking about the Lonnie they knew at university. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry, before I. No, I. Well, one thing that I was going to Google but didn't is whether
1: Seventh Avenue is in New York or Boston. Because, there is no Seventh Avenue in Boston. Right. So because New York is famously on a grid. Oh. So you have like 40th Avenue or whatever, Seventh Avenue. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so when when that line, when I heard that line, I thought, "Where are we?" Yeah. I also yeah. thought, "What the fuck is Fagan doing singing 'Seventh'? Seventh there. Seven. Yeah. So I pointed my car down Seventh. Seven. You know, it's a very weird oh, way. Just Faganism.
0: Don't you know? You got you gotta get used to these. <laughs> um, from Brian Sweet's biography, a bit more info on on Lonnie. Mm. Um. Again, I'll try and summarize on the fly, but like Fagan moves in and then Lonnie's been at college for two years. He takes Donnie under his wing. Mm-hmm. They're both trying to teach themselves saxophone, but you know, whereas Donald is kind of like the guy from the suburbs who's um who's still sort of shy but wants to take on these new beginnings, like Lonnie is immersed in art and drug culture, so mm-hmm. so Lonnie is sleeping uh all day and he's awake all night painting, and they, they kind of cross paths from time to time. Um, and then I'll quote the batim here. He was also a heavy drinker, Lonnie, who experimented with a variety of drugs and, in his own words, blacked out almost every night. Young and Donald lived like Cox and box, with Young getting up as Donald prepared for bed. Like Cox and box? I don't know who that is. When oh, the that's fabrication- a person. Oh, sorry, I thought it was like cocks and box. Oh, no. I God. thought it was some- anyway. Ignore that. The important thing okay, yeah, is yeah, yeah. where I finish that quote. So, so he's he's a big drinker. He's a big drug taker. He blacks out almost every night. Right. So, my thoughts here is that Lonnie is almost certainly this Lonnie that they knew, mm-hmm. and they're just right Then they're literally writing about. Um, they're literally writing about a period in their lives. So perhaps they're in New York City. This is post college. Lonnie's living there. They're all there. There's this lady Bayside who they've had some sort of like argument or altercation with. Walter, assuming he wrote the verses, he's like, "Fuck this! I'm going to Lonnie's." Uh, drives up Seventh Avenue, but then Lonnie is just Lonnie's just on a fucking two day bender, like classic Lonnie. Mm. Um, and then we have the chorus. You could say, which, you could say, Lonnie done again. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but like. But, like, so then then Fagan comes in with this chorus idea, which is like,
1: Bring back the Boston Rag. Tell all your buddies that it ain't no drag.
0: Which you can see them kind of going, that doesn't make sense in the context of the song, but what it does imply is a kind of, like, ephemeral sense of nostalgia. Yeah. So let's stick that on as a chorus. And also, probably they found, like, great joy in the fact it would confuse people. Mm -hmm. So we have a song set in New York, but then this thing that talks about the Boston Rag, which is probably a near enough meaningless idea from Donald, but it, it matched the kind of, it matched the kind of like like visceral nostalgia of the song that they were going through, going for in their own minds. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it. I think this is very much kind of like, this is something that happened that we're describing in pretty much, it sounds poetic and obtuse, but we are effectively describing a scene from our own lives in the same way that sort of Georges Perec would describe the contents of a room
1: mm-hmm.
0: to describe the contents of a room without any expectation, without any kind of like, I am like, I am doing something here for the reader. I am, you know, I might know my function here is to it, my function here is to describe something that happened. So this, Which support... I think, is interesting because it's like because it sounds very obtuse, but in fact they're being very kind <laughs> of straightforward about about an event in their life. We we if if you fo- if we follow my trail, yeah, then that then that is kind of what they're doing. So this kind of supports
1: your theory that the album is a collection of portraits of people that they knew.
0: Yeah, sort of, or, or just a collection of portraits of. Um, of down and outs and and like mm. gla- yeah l- glamorous losers, as mm. you as you said, like mm. it, it's a um, they'd widen the net here here on until until Goucher where it almost feels like they're doing the same thing but in the mirror. With Countdown to Ecstasy, it's 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 like okay, we've got fresh written songs presumably from their time having moved from East Coast to West Coast and really describing their uh their experiences there and their reminiscences from their New York life. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's all
1: that all sounds very plausible, but it doesn't make it a good lyric. I don't I mean I don't know whether that was your intention. W- was but by elucidating it, are you saying therefore it's it's good? No not at all. I'm just saying by that as a as an exegesis. I was just
0: interested to say I was just interested to see how you Reacted to the lyric with with presumably how it was intended, which is this kind of word painting mm. um because they they couldn't have imagined that anyone would understand what would anyone would connect with their very specific personal experiences mm-hmm. versus how you would react to it with the knowledge of those experiences I see yeah, yeah, well, like i say it, it makes
1: sense to me as an as a as a interpretation what you just said. Mm. Because what I took from the lyric was some nice phrases. You know what I mean? So what are the nice phrases? Tell me the nice phrases. That'll be a uh, good one. Okay. <laughs> Here are the nice phrases. I was out of my mind and you were on the phone.
0: No, c- c- come on, because you, you text me. Yeah. And we're like, that's an awful lyric. Did I? Yeah. No. Yeah, you did. Oh. You were like, how how fromage? Did I? Yeah. Oh God! You see, Not with those what, exact words. But... This is
1: what I was saying earlier. I'm very flighty, um, <laughs> because I because I like it now because it's it's kind of a I don't know whether I'm pronouncing this word correctly, but it's 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 kind of a zoigma. What's a zoigma? Explain to me and 99 percent of the listeners what a zoigma is. So zoigma, it might be pronounced zoigma. I don't know, but it's like where um, you have a verb and then you give two. Can I give you an example? Yeah. No, no, I think I know so what you're saying. So like, say. it's like so, I, I, walked, I walked into the room and into a whole lot of trouble. So it's like I, I was out of my yeah. mind because of the preposition out. You think it's going to be I was out of my mind and you were sane or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. But
1: actually it's like you were on the phone. It's kind mm-hmm. of witty, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. It just caught my ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Lonnie was the kingpin. I like you were Lady Bayside. I really like Lonnie swept the playroom. I think that's a great line.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like looking at Lonnie's history, it may well be true. Mm. Well, do you remember? Um, do you remember Google Wax? Yeah, where you try to find a, a, a search query which only has one result.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't work anymore because there's too much on the internet. But what, what I'm saying is, Lonnie swept the playroom. It feels like a sentence that's never been uttered before. Like yeah, as a yeah, as a yeah, collection yeah, yeah. of words, it's like mm. furious green noises, color furiously, yeah. or whatever that whatever that sentence is. I just mean it's pleasing because it it mm-hmm. feels unique as a collection mm-hmm. of words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that it reminded yeah, me of,
0: I, I enjoy that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the thing that it reminded me of was uh, Morrissey because Morrissey in the eighties. I remember he said in an interview something like. Uh, he was basically saying that he took pride in including words in his songs that you normally wouldn't hear in a pop song. So, like, girlfriend in a coma, you don't tend to hear the word coma in pop songs, or, like, big mouth strikes again, you know, that he took a kind of pleasure and pride in, like, using unusual combinations of words. And I feel that's going on here with something like Lonnie swept the playroom. It just feels... But if it's Morrissey, he probably stole it. He probably took it from a kitchen sink drama from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But I'm, you know, so but I'm I'm still trying to find entry points into this band, even though I like this song. I'm not convinced I'm a Steely Dan fan, but I can sort of picture Fagan. Oh no, this was Becker, wasn't it? Who wrote this verse? I can picture Becker well, as a kind of like we, if we trust our uh, Stevie Moore, or whose name is um, S. Victor Aaron. <laughs> S. Victor Aaron. <laughs> yeah, but I can kind of picture Walter Becker. He's at the piano, and he's like a sort of um, he's like a a scruffy Cole Porter. He's got on the piano, like, Merriam-Webster and a thesaurus, and he's trying to, like, find cool combinations of words.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can sort of get behind that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though the lyric as a whole doesn't really speak to me, I like, the, I like the adventurousness of trying to, yeah, trying to come up with your Google
0: wax so here's another here's another thing that I found in my research, which was uh, a, a, a conversation between Becker and Fagin, which talked about the kind of their working process and how, um, like like Fag like Fagin said things like, "Oh, we're a good partnership because I can't finish a song and Walter can't start one,"
1: mm-hmm. but
0: he also said that like, or I think Walter said that like he is Walter's lyrics. He's quite happy for it to be like, to not make much literal sense, but to be a kind of like, to be a sort of impressionistic sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. Whereas Donald is really fastidious about like, I'm having like, if something doesn't support a message in a lyric, we need like edit that, delete that, change that. Yeah. Um, so that might give some insight into like who, who wrote what, because, you know, you've, you've kicked back against some of the Steely Dan lyrics, which are, which are more of a kind of like angry haiku. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, <laughs> um, uh, and, it, and maybe Donald's lyrics are more of the kind of Dylan tradition or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. That's not a good way of putting it, but it, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like I'm being, I'm being flighty, but there's a message versus Becker's kind of like, I'm a, the lyrical goddess and nothing nothing matters. So. Mm. Well it's interesting. I, I'm sure this is partly just my obsession with
1: Donald Fagin as a as a character. But I basically think of Steely Dan as Fagin's band. Like I, I never think about Becker.
0: Yeah, it's tempting to do that, but yeah, I think yeah. um I think it's yeah it's tempting to underplay Becker's contributions. Mm. Whereas I think he was uh I think I think you know it's a natural um result of, of Becker being the front of of Fagin being the front man yeah. and being uh and, and thus being more kind of like culturally associated with Steely Dan. Yeah. I, and I it's think, like Becker's, I think it's Becker's a Becker's a mere bassist.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I, yeah
0: I, I think I think certainly in terms of Dan's sneering vibe, Becker mm. is a is a big player and I think he probably played a lot more in the songs mm. than yeah. a lot of people give him credit for. Mm. Slam or scam. Andrew, tell me what you think. You've been teasing for ages. <laughs> Is it a royal slam good or a royal scam bad? It's a royal slam. Tell me why. I really like this song. I That's it's, a surprise to me.
1: I think it's very satisfying. I like the I love basically I love the verse. I think it's a mm. really I think it's a really lovely melody. I like the lyrics. I like the arrangement. I like everything about it. There are things about it that I'm less keen on. Like the intro, I think it's fun, but it's also slightly irritating. You know what I mean? No. It's a bit like a spinning bow tie. It's kind of like, yes, your bow tie is spinning, but have you got anything to say?
0: That's how I feel about the intro. Well, I'd feel that way if they had like dog barking in the drum section. But, you know, there's nothing about it which says I'm a... I'm, no, I'm a, but it, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a funny loon. Well, I don't know. I think it's
1: meant. I think it's meant to sound uh, quirky. Okay. Anyway, I'm just saying I'm not mad about it, but that's uh, that's kind of carping because I think overall it's a really good song. I love the solo, and I haven't loved many Steely Dan solos, but I think it's a really great solo. My one reservation about this song, which we didn't actually touch on when we were talking about the, the music, is that the chorus. Even though I think it's a really good melody and it fits really well with the song is a little bit brash like it it, it put me in mind most of change of the guard <laughs> you know change of the guard where it goes na 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 okay yeah 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 and it's a bit sort of like a football chant i feel a little bit way about the chorus of this song even though i think the melody is really good there's just
0: something slightly brash about it in what situation would you most like to listen to this song in the bath, <laughs> <laughs> but that's true of every song <laughs> no but what I, like what i'm what I'm kind of edging towards is um this this song has qualities as of of a of a sort of rocker, yeah you know with the with the yeah that you know it. it's got a yeah. riff it's yeah. got a it's got a sort of driving drum drum part in that section um, yeah. But then but then the verses switch to a much more low key kind of vibe. Mm. Um it kind of threatens to be a rocker and then doesn't do that and then kind of, and then goes umpa. Like Yeah Um I just had a very, very vivid mental image
1: of a Steely Dan live show uh-huh. where everybody knows the songs. So they're like, it's Boston fucking rag, yeah. And what I imagined was when they do the umpa, so they, they drop away and it's like bum, done. Dun, 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 like that, everybody goes ape shit because they know, <laughs> <laughs> they know, they know what's coming. I can really picture it, like the, the audience just going. I crazy. saw Steely Dan
0: live about a decade ago, but I can't remember if they played Boston Rag and what happened at that moment. I wish. I <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, fucking Steely Dan. You know. Um, okay, great. I'm glad you like it. I, I'm surprised really, you like it. Yeah, I, 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 would, I, I, I didn't know. I really like it. I really it. didn't know. I think it's very, very well done, and
1: I think that the verse, the verse in particular, uh, does it for me. Is it
0: better than Razor Boy? No, Razor Boy is is, be-
1: is 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 great.
0: That well, yeah. Like I mean, like I said at the time, it is Razor Boy is one of the best Steely Dan songs, and you're yeah. like, no, nah, it's a soft slam. Whereas you like this one's a hardcore <laughs> slam, but I don't like it that much. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> Well, look, what, okay, I say, what I will say, what will say, so can okay, I say one, no, final, on. one final thing? Yeah,
1: go, 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 go. Is that I detect on this album a slight air of bloat. So Razor Boy In is. In the like, length of the songs. Yes. Mm. Not Jeff Skunk Baxter's paunch. The Razor Boy is like three minutes and something seconds. It's like really tight and it doesn't outstay its welcome. You get the hooks, it's really nice. Bodhisattva is too long, I would say. I, I just think it goes on. I, I think it outstays its welcome, and I think this one risks doing that. As in, the really good stuff in this song probably comes to about two and a half minutes, but it's sort of like stretched out into this Queen-style prog odyssey.
0: Okay, well I'll, tell, and, I'll and, say and, two and, things. All,
1: all I'm going to say is that I'm 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 trepidatious going forward because I'm worried that we're going to have some more bloated.
0: Rock songs. <laughs> we're not going to have bloated rock songs. What what we're going to have is your gold teeth, which um, I'll just put it there. Like, I'll i would be very interested to see what you think of song next, song the next, which is your gold teeth. But also, your thoughts on this mm-hmm. are a chime with Steely Dan's record labels' thoughts on this, which was that there's no big single from Countdown to Ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Where's the hit? And also, the songs are too fucking long, mm. so the next album, Pretzel Logic, is made in direct response to that, as like, let's write some singles, and let's make, let's do shorter songs. Okay,
1: okay. But that's the thing, I'm, so, I'm conflicted, because I think it is, you know, I like the adventurousness, the, the structural adventurousness, but also, on repeated, you know, I've listened to this song a lot in preparation for this, and... There's only so many... You know, like, after a while, it, it
0: you just feel a little bit like it's self-indulgent. But we should also say that this is one of the few Steely Dan songs that you had heard before this Dan Odyssey. Yes. That you embarked upon. And at the time, you fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Is that... Is that <laughs> yeah, that's yeah? fair, yeah, yeah. So who's your friend who told you to listen to The Boston
1: Rag? Uh, Simon. Well, he told me to listen to Simon. Razor Boy and The Boston Rag.
0: Which you... And you... You love both of those songs now. Yeah, it's true. Something's happening. So do you want want to apologise to Simon on air? Well, I already have, uh,
1: by text. (laughs) 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 But yeah, Simon, if you're listening, I would like to say you're a great guy, um, and you were right. I was wrong, and you're a man of strong opinions, so you're going to be so happy (laughs) with this apology.
0: (laughs) And I'm glad that I can give it to you. Um, look, there is no point in me saying this. Like, honestly, listeners, I will give everything on Countdown to Ecstasy a, a slam vote. Mm. I'm laying that out right now, which is why I think that I should have a rule imposed upon me where I have to give one scam per album. Because mm. because once we get post Can't Buy a Thrill, I'm kind of like, I'm that much of a of a Dan arse licker. <laughs> That I will give everything. I will give yeah. a lot. Of, I give an enormous amount of things a slam. So I'm gonna. I, I, this is a slam, but I'm going to give something a scam on Countdown to Ecstasy, and you'll have to wait and see what that is. Oh, yeah. that's that's exciting. Um, because everything else is a, is a slam. <laughs> it's a total bona fide slam. It's it's such a perfect album. Hello, Ollie from the editing booth here, as is fast becoming a tradition. You'll note that today's episode was a little longer than usual. Um, That's because it had loads of good stuff in it and it was hard to edit. Um, So the first thing we're going to do on our Patreon is drop a bumper version of this episode. So from the time this goes live, it's probably, hopefully just going to be a few days before that comes out. We're also readying a bonus episode covering the first Steely Dan single, pre-Can't Buy a Thrill, which is Dallas, BW, Sail the Waterway. So have a look out for that as well on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash countdown to exegesis. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.